Welcome to the next message from Encounter Church. For more information about our church, visit us online at EncounterPGH.com. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the message. So today is the last message in our series that's been a long series that we've been doing called Creed, which has really been all about what do we believe and why does it matter? My, my hope, my prayer for this whole series was one, to reinforce um, some of the major tenets of our faith as Christians. And to, to, for some of you, maybe some of the topics were not so much new topics, but maybe were you had dove into them more than you ever have before. That was a hope for mine, uh, of mine, that maybe we would um, help you understand why we, why we believe what we do but also the practical nature of it. Um, we talked about how it's valuable to know what we believe, because I believe that when we know what we believe, it will inform how we live. But it's not just the knowledge of it, but the knowledge combined with the Spirit of God within us that has the power to transform us, to work in and through us. And that's really the goal. The goal is not to be a good Christian. The goal is to become like Christ, to be his children, and to be that ambassador to the world so that people can see and come to know him too. And the way that we do that is allowing his Spirit to transform us through his word. Um, So we've covered topics like the Bible. What do we believe about the Trinity, about eternity? Um, salvation. And this week, we're going to be finishing up with the church, the church, the church is God's design for community. So today, we're going to be talking about what does it mean to be a church? What is the church's purpose? And what does it mean for us? And so I want to start by reading the uh, statement of faith that we have about the church on our website that you can find there, um, as well as all the other ones that we went through this week. And it says this, the church is God's design for community. It is a local community of baptized believers unified through faith in Christ. It is committed to the teachings of Christ and obeying all of his commands, and it seeks to bring the gospel to the world. The church works together in love and unity, intent on the ultimate purpose of glorifying Christ. The church is God's design for community. And before we really get into what the Bible has to say and what it means for us, I would like to just admit that the church in general and I have a complicated history and a complicated relationship. And uh, you might feel that way too. Um, I grew up in a, in a pastor's home my entire life. There has not been a single moment of my life where church, the Bible, God, Jesus has not been uh, at least an influence in my life, positively or negatively, um, from the people in my life or people who would call themselves to be Christians. Um, and when I say that it has been a complicated history and a complicated relationship, there's been a lot of joy. There's been a lot of healing, a lot of transformation, beautiful community and relationships and learning and wonder and power and miracles that I have seen and experienced in my life on display through the church. But also, I have experienced a lot of hurt, a lot of pain. I've experienced betrayal. I've experienced hypocrisy. I've experienced um, heresy. I've experienced judgment. Um, and, And so the church is, as we know it, 
not as God describes it or as it should be, but the church as I know it, the church as maybe you have experienced it as, um, is complicated and and can be a place of not of, of healing for many people. And perhaps for some of you, um, maybe, maybe it before you came to encounter, and I hope that encounter has not been that way, but uh, maybe that's been your story, that perhaps it was more bad than good for you. Perhaps, you know, the Christians that you have known who are representative of the church, if you will, um, you know, have painted a picture where it's been a sour taste in your mouth. Maybe you've been on the receiving end of a big stick um, negatively from, from Christians in your life. And so the church has been a place of hurt and, and difficulty. Maybe, I hope, my prayer for you is that maybe it's not all been that way. Um, and my goal and our goal, I think Heather and I, one of the main things that we wanted for when we started Encounter Church was we our desire was to, what if we started a church that looked like the kinds of relationships that we saw in the Bible? What if a church was um, like the gospel was the center, not just Jesus, but what it meant to really live like the gospel? What would a church like that look like? And I certainly don't um, think that we have it all figured out. I think that that's really, we're going to get into that a little bit more later. There's still more to, to come, but I'm hopeful that wherever you came from before Encounter, that your time at Encounter Church has been a place of more good than it has been bad. That the church that you have experienced here has been uh, more reflective of what you see in the Bible than maybe some of the other things that you've seen in your life. And so the idea of what we want to talk about today is the concept of the church as it should be. What does God say about his church? Why does he care so much about it? And what is its purpose? That's what we want to do today. And the reason for this is because God loves his church. God loves his church. Like God created it and talks a lot about it in the Bible. And Christians, in particularly in modern American Christianity, actually malign the church in a lot of ways. Um, and for all the reasons that I already mentioned. But the reality is, is that God loves his church. It says that Jesus died for his church, that Jesus is the head of his church. It's the bride of Christ. Like it's the, one of the most important things to him. And so we have to understand why that is and what it matters. And so everything we have discussed up to this point in the series, right, about the Bible and about the Trinity and about humanity and about um, salvation, all of these things have led to this moment today. All of it has led to the church because the church is God's chosen vehicle to be a physical representation of Jesus to the world. I want to say that again, because I want you to make sure you're hearing this. The Bible paints the picture that the church is God's chosen vehicle to be a physical representation of Jesus to the world, embodying the story of God in our lives and through each other to those around us. The whole point of the church is to embody, like incarnation, like we talked about at Christmas, right? The divine with the physical matched together. The spirit of God living inside of us in such a way, collectively as the body of Christ in churches all over the world, is the physical incarnational representation of Jesus embodying the story of God being lived out in our lives through each other and to those around us. That's the purpose of the church. So I want to talk about it today and just kind of dive into it. What does the Bible say about the church? What do we believe about the church and why 
does it matter? And I just would just kind of pause here and say that we could spend an entire series on the church. There are degree programs called ecclesiology, which are really about the study of the entirety of the church, history of the church. What does the Bible have to say about it? And and how do we apply it and all the methods? So this is only going to scratch the surface. And I think what's important for us today is not to get into all the theology, but really to understand the heart, the essence of the church that we see in the Bible and understand what that means for us as a local community. And that's what I want to do today. So the first question we're going to ask, we're asking three questions today. And the first question is this, what is a church? What is a church? Well, we're going to answer that by the first part of our statement of faith. The church is a local community, underline that word community, of baptized believers, unified through faith in Christ. The church is a local community, of baptized believers unified through faith in Christ. Would you guys turn, open your Bibles and turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 41 is where we're going to begin. This is the first time that we see a picture of a local community of believers unified through faith in Christ. Acts chapter 2, Verses 41 to 47, we're going to read here and see, just pull out the essences, excuse me, the essence of what is the picture that we get of what it looks like to be a local community of baptized believers. Acts chapter 2, verse 41 says this, so those who accepted his message were baptized. All right, so that's why it's clearly in our statement of faith that the church is a local community of baptized believers, because every time we see somebody converted to Christ, right, in a relationship with Christ, they're baptized. And then obviously the concept of, of baptism has been carried all the way through. So to be baptized, and even in Romans, right, over and over again, the Apostle Paul talks about being buried with Christ and raised in new life, right? The old is gone, the new has come. The concept of baptism, while there is debate whether it's the theological requirement for salvation, it's certainly a command, all right? So the idea of us being baptized is is a is a outward sign that is incredibly important because we're commanded to do it by our Savior. And then the tradition of it that goes with it, right? So so the idea was you're giving up your old self and you're being crucified with Christ and raised to life as a new individual, a new person, a child of God. So those who accepted his message were baptized. The church is a local community of baptized believers, unified through faith in Christ. Let's keep reading. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Little clues there. We'll come back a little bit later. Verse 43. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now, all the believers were together. There's that community concept again, and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and their property and distributed the proceeds to everyone, all community, again, as anyone had need. Every day, they devoted themselves to what? Meeting together, community, in the temple. And they broke bread, eating together, community, from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And every day, the Lord added to their numbers those who were being saved. The church, what is a church? The church is a local community of baptized believers unified through faith in Christ. What we just read here is a beautiful picture of a movement. This is where it all started. Like just before that, 
we saw the 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 the, the Holy Spirit be imparted upon the believers in the upper room, the 120 that were in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. This is where the concept of Pentecostal churches come from, the belief in the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, because they were a band of 120 disciples who had just, you know, seen Jesus be crucified, resurrected, but they were being persecuted. They were scared that they were going to be essentially be um, being hunted down and kind of put in prison or, or crucified. And so they're hiding. Jesus had told them to go to this place. Jesus had said, go up into this room and wait for the Holy Spirit. And so they're there waiting and praying and worshiping and kind of having like a really long church service for a long time, just not sure what to happen, what to expect. And the Holy Spirit comes down upon them and fills them, fills them and empowers them. Like we've talked about with the Holy Spirit before and boldness happens. <clears throat> and Peter gets up and preaches for the very first time, the sermon, the gospel message and preaches to people who are in Jerusalem for this big festival. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people from all over the world at the time it was all the Middle East and that sort of area, different cultures of peoples and different languages coming. And he preached the gospel and many people were saved. And that was the birthplace of the church, large capital C church. Okay. The church, the body of Christ, that's the beginning of it. And now these pockets of people who've been transformed by the presence of God living inside of them, the excitement and the power that comes with it have now begun meeting with each other in their homes because now suddenly uh, a person from Galatia and a person from, from Jerusalem are friends because of what Jesus has done. And they're, they're meeting each other's homes and they're talking about the power of it and they're eating together and they're going to the temple and they're talking about it. it's on their lips all the time. And so they're just with each other constantly. And we see right here in Acts chapter 2. Like this beautiful picture of a movement picking up speed and like spreading like wildfire all over a region. And the thing that, that is struck to me is how stark of a contrast it looks like from our modern day practice of Christianity. What you don't see here is cathedrals. What you don't see here is fancy robes. What you don't see here is even a pastor preaching a message, like in the sense of like this every week, like this kind of, uh, um, you know, didactic kind of like presentation. That's not the picture that we get here. But instead, we know that the body of Christ, the church, is a local community of baptized believers unified through faith in Christ. It's a local community of believers. It's not a building because they went from house to house. They went from place to place. They were like in the marketplace talking about Jesus. They were in their homes talking about Jesus. Yes, they went to the, to the temple, but that's because it was built into their Jewish lifestyle as part of their center of community. And it's certainly not a social club. And that's also, I think, the one thing that I've been wrestling with a lot is what is it that makes me different as a Christian than a really good person in our world? I actually read an article about this. I was talking to my brother and sister a little bit about this a couple of weeks ago. We came across an article of somebody who basically, I think they were talking about like some of the recent news articles that we've seen of prominent celebrity sort of like pastors, like a Carl Lentz um, or, or individuals like that who have, uh, have, it's recently come out that maybe they had some marital infidelity or different, you know, improprieties of some kind. And so they've lost their position. They've kind of resigned or been, been um, you know, terminated from those roles. And, and, and a non-Christian individual is commenting on this. And in one of those articles, he said, I just don't really see what the point is of being a Christian. 
Because if your life doesn't look any different than mine, then I'm perfectly happy just being exactly what I am because it doesn't seem to be making really any difference from you because I serve at the soup kitchen and I donate to like hurricane relief myself and, and I love people and I care for the homeless and I do all the things that Christians do, but I'm not cheating on my wife and I'm not doing this, I'm not doing that, all of these different things. And it really rocked me because I thought, what is it? To be a church, it's not a building. And it's not a social club. It is a community. And it's relationships with each other, which non-Christians have too. But it's centered around faith in Christ. It's centered around it. The concept of a church is not that we just come and talk about it. It's that transformation takes place. We experience Christ. As I was reading this week, I just started a new book called Letters to the Church by Francis Chan. You guys will hear me talking about him a lot for whatever reason. And I actually don't love Francis Chan's writings as much as I probably sound like I do. But um, this particular book I wanted to read because it's been recommended to me, just kind of the questions I'm asking presently. In the first chapter, he's talking about the concept of, of the church. He's talking about what it means to be centered around Christ. And he said that what he actually finds, and I find this to be true as well, is when I'm sitting in a church building and I have a pastor preaching to me, I don't necessarily feel the presence of Christ. But when I'm in a room with each other, or when we're having our discussions and we're talking like over Zoom like we do, I sense Christ in each of you. And I see, hear him speaking to me through you. And, I, and it makes me want to grow closer to him. I want to know more of him when I'm on my own time privately, when I'm with you guys. It's a community of believers centered around Christ, centered around faith in Jesus. Why does it matter? Because we experience Christ together and we grow together. We're not consumers, but we're contributors. When you're a community, you're all part of it. You're all a part of it. We are contributing instead. A local community of believers centered around relationship with each other and a relationship with Christ. That's what the church is portrayed as. The local church is a community, a local community of baptized believers unified through faith in Christ. So that's what a church is, a local community. And people have kind of argued or debated or different methodologies of what that looks like. And in our modern current way, most people do that in a building somewhere and they have had to create small groups, right? As kind of a way to create community. But generally speaking, they go once a week and they kind of sit and listen to someone preach. And that's the way we used to do it. But we moved into this space now where we're in a house church format, which is relationally focused, this concept of us being a local community of believers um, centered around Jesus in relationship with each other. And that's what we are as a church. But what is a church supposed to do? And this is really the meat of this, of this study today. And, and before we get into this part here, I just want to say that you're going to sense some things, right? And I've got to be honest with you and just tell you that I am a pastor in transition. This is what I would, how I would describe myself. I am in the process and have been for the last several years of, of really trying to ask questions about what is a church? What is it? What does it mean to be a follower of Christ? Like, how can I reach people that I know we're called to reach or that I'm called to reach? Or how do I, how do I live out my faith in such a way that feels authentic to what I see in scripture? And so a lot of this next section of what does a church do? is really me trying to figure out the, that, the answer to that question. And I don't have it all figured out. 
all I have is what I see in scripture. I know the things that I've been trained to do. And, and, and then by, by uh, extension, the way that you guys have learned from either from me or other people, you know, other pastors and the way that you do it, our habits are what they are. And then, and then sometimes the gaps that I see that scripture paints a picture of, but that I haven't figured out, or we haven't figured out, or the habits aren't congruent to that. And so this next section is really designed around what does the church do from a biblical perspective, and then asking the question of how we can match that. So what does the church do? Well, we know that the church is a local community of baptized believers unified through faith in Christ. Check. I think we're doing that. But what does the church do? The next part of our statement of faith says it is committed to the teachings of Christ and obeying all of his commands. And it seeks to bring the gospel to the world. Where do we get that from? Two quick verses. Back to Acts chapter 2, verse 42, right? We're already there. What does it say? They devoted themselves. More on that in a minute. Underline devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and then a bunch of commas. So I'm going to kind of add the first part to each of them. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. They devoted themselves to prayer. But then we also have Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, another incredibly famous, popular verse, because this is Jesus, the last words we have of Christ before he ascended to heaven. He was telling his disciples, and by extension, all of us, what our responsibility is on earth. Go, therefore, Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Go, therefore, and underline this, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. The local church is a local community of baptized believers, baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and what? teaching them to be devoted, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. So the first scripture, Acts chapter 2, 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread and prayer. That's what we do. And then we're told to go and make disciples and teach them to observe everything I've commanded you. Receive and devote, your, devote yourself to these things, and then go get more people and make them disciples and then teach them to do it too. The cyclical nature of the whole thing. And so what does the church do? The church is a local community of baptized believers centered around faith in Christ. But a church does discipleship and multiplication. Discipleship and multiplication. A friend of mine, uh, another pastor of a church here, uh, a crossroads church, There, it's a pretty large um, multiple uh, campuses around the city, but uh, the one that I know of that he's the campus pastor of here in East Liberty, Crossroads East Liberty, my friend Jonathan Coral, great, awesome man of God. He's a good friend of mine. He says that their church says discipleship is defined by this, love and obedience to Jesus. I love Jesus, worship him. I spend time with him, right? Loving someone and then obedience. So I love him and I obey him. I love Jesus and I obey Jesus. So if that's the definition of discipleship, look, where does that come from? Look what Acts chapter two, verse 42 says. They devoted themselves. Devotion. I think that's a good word, right? I love someone. I'm devoted to them. I am devoted to my wife. I'm devoted to, to spending time with her. I'm devoted to serving her. I'm devoted to making sure she's happy, making sure she's taken care of, right? I love her and I'm devoted to her. And the disciples were devoted to these four things, it says, to the teaching, 
They were devoted to fellowship. They were devoted to eating together. I like that one. They were devoted to prayer, right? That word here, um, I guess I didn't write it down. Oh, well. Um, teach them to observe everything, right? It says that, so we see that, I'm so sorry, guys, I got, I guess I messed this a spot here. So the concept of devotion that we see here is this idea of like being completely like assigned to something, like willing to, uh, to make sure that it is going to happen. Like I'm, 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 I'm trying to find the right word for it. Like the concept of, of, of like almost like a contract, like this is something that I will give myself over to. I'm committed to it. They were committed to loving Jesus and to obeying him, committed to teaching, to the teaching of the disciples. What, what are they saying from the apostles? They're giving us this information and hearing about Jesus and the Holy Spirit was overflowing in their lives. They're devoted to it. They spent time with each other on a regular basis. We see that in, in the rest of the verses, they would come together and they would spend time listening to the disciples, to the apostles. And they were, they were devoted to those things. They spent time with, with fellowship, meaning that they were regularly connected with each other, spending time hanging out, watching football games or going to the park or doing whatever, like eating together and, 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 and just having time together. They were devoted to eating together. They were devoted to praying over the things that mattered and to spending time in a spiritual setting, not just, you know, not just talking, not just engaging the mind, but they were devoted to the spiritual nature, to, to edifying the, the spirit within them, to, to listening to Holy Spirit and, and to hearing him speak and then, and then testing that together and praying over each other and praying for healing. All oh, they were devoted to it. Love and obey. Love and obey. That's what they were devoted to. That's the concept of it is a church is committed to the teachings of Christ and obeying all of his commands. And I think as a church, generally speaking, we're pretty good at, at this piece. Everything I preach, every sermon I always preach always has a practical element. How can we become obedient to that? Now, as a pastor, I'm responsible for myself and I can only go that far. You are now responsible. Each of us are responsible to hear the word spoken and then to be obedient to it. Each of us are. And I understand that myself included, that sometimes I'm not either ready to or willingly or willing to obey, obey to, to, the full, to the fullest of it. There are things that I know that in my life where I have... And I guess that would be considered rebellion, wouldn't it be? I mean, the idea of if I know that God is calling me to do something because scripture is very clear on it, or I sense the Holy Spirit challenging me in an area of my life, but I choose to ignore it. And I kind of act as though I'm not really ignoring it, but I kind of pretend like I didn't hear it, or I'm not really willing to face it or willing to take steps towards it. Is that obedience? I don't think so. So like, that's a challenge for us. And thank God there's grace, right? And there's mercy, but willful disobedience is, is not okay. And so the concept of committed to the teaching, they were devoted to teaching, devoted to fellowship. Like that was a priority in their life. My question to us is even in our current existence and as individuals, are we devoted to teaching? Are we devoted to fellowship? Are we devoted to eating together and to prayer? How much? And if so, are, if, we're, if we're lovers of Jesus, if we're lovers of the church, are we obedient? Are we obedient to him? Because Jesus gives us a command. 
And this is a space in which partly I'm asking a lot of questions as a church. When Jesus said, go therefore, Matthew chapter 28, and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. Now, as a pastor, I have often, I have often felt like I was, I've, I've kind of said that like I'm making disciples by being a pastor. But when I read this, it doesn't say, hey, you're, the job of the apostles only is to be making disciples. The concept is, is that we are to be disciple-making people in general. Every single one of us is meant to be making disciples, spending time with each other, and then spending time with other people who then become disciples, who then make other disciples. That's the pattern that we see over and over again. That's why there were people added to their fellowship every day. Isn't that what it said? At the end of Acts chapter 2, verse 47, every day the Lord added to their numbers those who are being saved. Every day. And if we take an honest look, if we take an honest look at your life, at my life, when's the last time we had a visitor at our church? And was that intentional? And this is me too. Like, I'm not, I'm not looking at anybody here. And I hope you hear my, my tone is not one of accusation. It's not one of, you know, judgment. It's one of trying to take an honest look at what it is that God's word says, the state of what a church is and what it should be. And then looking at the current state and recognizing there's a gap in my personal life and in our church life. And so when I ask the questions of what does it mean, this concept, right? What does it mean to be obedient? It, Jesus said in, in Matthew 28, verse 20, teach them to observe everything I've commanded you. The concept here, the word observe the, is the Greek word of terrain, terrain, which means to keep on, to continue in a state of, to guard, to keep watch over, and to obey. And it's a similar word of the word teresis, which is actually a word for custody and in prison or in jail. So when Jesus is saying, teach them to observe everything I've commanded you, it's like, it's like teach every person that you meet as a Christian, those who become a disciple, to take Jesus's words so sincerely that they, sincerely that they are like imprisoned by it. That sounds like a weird way to say it, but like that, that their heart has been captured by it, that they are guarding the, the willingness to be so devoted to Jesus's teachings that it's like it matters so much that they are, that they have no other way. They are compelled by it. That it is the only option. Jesus said to teach them to observe, to guard, to obey, to, to imprison it in what he has commanded us. Obedience to all of Jesus's teachings, right? What does the church do? It is committed to the teachings of Christ and obeying all of his commands. And it seeks to bring the gospel to the world. Obedience to all of Jesus's commands. Well, one of Jesus's big commands to his followers is to bring the gospel to the world around us. Am I being obedient to that? Are you being obedient to that? Am I taking steps? Am I trying to learn what it means? Am I looking for ways? And if not, Am I being obedient? Urgh, ouch, it hurts. This is hard because I'm looking at scripture. I'm seeing what it says. I'm seeing the, it's like, it's not even like there's no debate, right? Like it's very clear <laughs> Jesus' words here. 
This is part of our role as a church, part of our role as individuals, as disciples. And if I'm not being obedient, what am I? What are we? I feel a personal conviction to figure this part out. And this is causing me to ask a lot of questions about church, about me as a Christian. And I don't, I recognize that I don't have a lot of answers, but I have to be honest and tell you that I'm not content with just asking the questions. I find myself sitting outside on my back porch talking to a pastor friend of mine, and we talk on a regular basis about what I hear God calling me to, what are calling our church to, just the idea of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I see, like we said in the very beginning, I see people talking so badly about Christianity. I see people talking so poorly about the hypocrisy of churches and how they're angry about it. I remember Heather and I sitting at a, at a picnic table at a restaurant a number of years ago and just overhearing the conversation of, of this other couple, this, this, this man and a woman. And the guy was telling the story about how earlier that day um, there had been a Christian kind of standing on the side of a street and he reached out to hand them like a Bible tract. And I'm not saying that that's an effective technique of evangelism, but that person like, you know, was so angry and sitting at the picnic table now later that day talking to this friend is how dare that person, the audacity, how dare he you know, try to tell me about their God, about this Jesus. Like, like there was such anger and such fury in this person's voice. And Heather and I just sat at the picnic table and we were so saddened. And my heart is, I want to reach that person. I want them to see the Jesus that I know. I want them to, to know that like that, that Christian and the number of Christians that they have reached that has caused them to feel such anger and malicious feeling towards God, that I'm not that person, that you're not that person, that our church is different than the others and that we seek to honestly know like what the Bible says about the gospel and what it means to be a church. But I don't know how to get there. And so my heart is for that. But the only way for me to get there is for me to wrestle with this. And I believe the same is true for you, is that you and I cannot become people that God wants us to be, to truly be disciple makers of other disciples if we're not ready to ask the question of why is it that I don't know how to talk to my friends about Jesus? Why is it that our church has not figured out the way to be able to connect with other people who don't know Jesus in a meaningful way? And that is not to say that we have not done wonderful things, that God has not born, borne fruit in our church because that is not true. But it is equally wrong of us to look at our church over the last seven years and to say that, that we've got it all right. And we have not. There is a piece of the puzzle. And I believe that God's grace is on our church, but there is something about where we have got to become a people that says, like, God, I recognize that there is a gap. And so what we see is the scriptures of early church showing people come to faith in Christ because of the followers of Jesus are engaged in reaching people. And I have to ask myself, am I, are we, are you? And this is a piece that many churches are missing, including ours, and it needs to be addressed. It's not just, you know, like encounter church. I believe that many churches 
in Western, you know, Christianity, in the American church has become consumer driven. It's been focused on a pastor teaching to people and have relied on big events and lights and sound systems and worship bands to attract people. And we now live in a society where people just don't care. You can't reach people who don't care with flashy lights and, and sound systems. It requires relationship, but it requires a passionate desire to connect with people who have no interest until you until they have a relationship. And I don't say any of this out of a place of guilt, but of honest searching, of a willingness to change, at least the initial willingness, because I recognize that that probably means that a lifestyle has to change. How do I know non-Christians? I got to go where people who aren't Christians are at. I have to spend time with them. There's a space in which I have to reorient. We have to reorient what we do to get something different. In order for us to love and obey Jesus, to truly be disciples means to love and obey Jesus. It means that we have to become people who are devoted to growing in Christ and with each other. And I think we are good at that. Yes, there is more even for that. And I'm asking questions about what that looks like. We have to be devoted to multiplying disciples. That's the piece of this. The church is a local community of baptized believers unified through faith in Christ, but it is committed to the teachings of Christ and obeying all, all of his commands, and it seeks to bring the gospel to the world. And what this should do, why does this matter? Is it should cause us to examine cause us to evaluate and to evolve. To see the gap should cause us to examine, evaluate, and evolve. And what I know about our church, and I look at you guys, you're willing to at least try to evolve. And this community that we have creates a space for accountability. And I think that's the important part that happens in community versus in a large format. And I'm not bashing on big churches, all that stuff. I just, again, where we're heading as a church is more about what I see in scripture and trying to read the landscape and trying to be true to the gospel and the way that it, what it's designed for. And one of those things that I see is in community, in relationship, it creates spaces for accountability where we can spur each other on, where we can ask these hard questions and then hold each other accountable to whether or not we're doing those things. That's a power of community. It is committed to the teachings of Christ and obeying all of his commands. And it seeks to bring the gospel to the world. Now, how does the church do it? And this is more about the kind of people we are than any function. So don't worry, I'm not about to unload some like big bomb about things changing at our church. It's not where we're going here today. I just have to go where scriptures teach it, right? But this is the last part here. The last part of our statement of faith talks about how a church operates, right? From the perspective of like the quality, I think. The church works together in love and unity. And it is intent on the ultimate purpose of glorifying Christ. I want to read two passages of scripture before we close up today. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. Very famous, but I want you to listen to it from the perspective of love, of the quality, the kind of people that we are, the way we live our lives, the way we treat each other, the way we treat other people. 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak a human or angelic tongue, but I don't have love, I am a noisy gong 
or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith enough so that I can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give away all of my possessions, which we just saw, right? The disciples did. They gave away all their possessions. And if I give over my body in order to boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. 1 Corinthians 13. And then so our back to our passage, our back to our statement of faith. The church works together in love. Love. And then in unity. John 17. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. Talking to God, actually, to his father. John 17, 23. I am in them and you are in me so that they may be completely one. Jesus's prayer was that we would be unified with each other, that we would be in such relationship with each other through Christ that we would find unity, that the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. I think that half of the reason, not half, a big reason why people at that picnic table don't know that Jesus is love and is full of grace and mercy and who he truly is, is because there are Christians out there who are not unified with the gospel, not unified with people like us who are trying to be unified. And that's very judgmental. I'm not meaning to say that they're not trying. I just think that when Jesus says over and over again, right, he says, like, they will know that you're my disciples by the way you love each other. And then in this case, Jesus says that the world will know that I was sent by the Father. In other words, that I am divine, that, that I am the representative of God if we are one. And so our statement of faith says the church works together in love and unity, intent on the ultimate purpose of glorifying God. What I see here is transformation that is measured by fruit. Transformation that is measured by fruit. It's one thing to, to be a part of a social club. It's another thing also to be a part of a church who's connected by relationship with Christ. But we also know that you can have knowledge of Jesus, that you can know the scriptures, that you can be a good person and not be transformed by him. That's why the entirety of this series is not just about the knowledge of what we believe, but connecting it with the spirit of God that provides transformation. We become like Jesus by putting it into practice, but by allowing the spirit of God to make those changes in our life. But truly, the measurement is not the number of people in a chair. It's not even the number of people in your house church. It's not the number of salvations. What it is, is measured by the fruit of the spirit. Are we people who are love? Are we unified with each other? Am I unified with the gospel? Does my life as a Christian paint the picture to other people of Jesus? Or what are they seeing? Like, does the picture of Jesus nice and clear 4K resolution? Or is the picture of Jesus that they see from my lifestyle a Picasso painting? Like, which one is it? You know what I mean? And this goes back to what we said, like obedience, love and obey. Like, am I becoming like Christ because of my in interactions with each other and because of my interaction with Jesus? Do people see who Jesus is? Or am I just the guy standing out on the street handing a track to someone? Or am I serving the person in love? Like, which is it? I think this matters because this is the standard that we are measured by. The standard of success that we are measured by, that the church should be measured by, is, is the church a reflection of Jesus to the world? Jesus was a servant. 
Jesus was the one who was in the dirt with people. Jesus was the one who spent time with people. He made time for them. He prayed for them. He healed them. You know, he fed people. He spent time with them and less time teaching, you know. The local body, the church is a local community of baptized believers unified through faith in Christ. It is committed to the teachings of Christ and obeying all of his commands. And it seeks to bring the gospel to the world. The church works together in love and unity, intent on the ultimate purpose of glorifying Christ. The church is God's design for community, but it is also a precursor of what is to come. The idea here is that people can see and experience. The reason that God created the church was that so people, humanity, can see and experience one eternity in the good presence of God will be like. It's supposed to be like that. Think about that for a second. How much of a stark contrast might that be for some of you or churches you've been at, or even in our own church? The idea of what it means to be in community with each other through Christ is that it's a picture of eternity with God. That's what it's supposed to be like. The goodness, the miracles, the wonder, the awe. Like God is so thick. His presence is so thick in our presence that when people see it, they're like, oh my gosh, that's what it's going to be like for the rest of eternity. The goodness of God lived out in that way. So people can experience and see what eternity in the good presence of God will be like and what the restoration of all things that God promises will be like. I'm going to close with Revelation 21. Verses two and three. This is the promise right here in Revelation 21, verses two and three. It says, I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity. Think about that for a second. The kingdom of God that Jesus talked about all the time, all the different aspects of what it means to be in the kingdom of God, right? What did Jesus say? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what it means to be in the presence of God and all of his power overflowing. That's the church, right? The church is supposed to be the place, the breeding ground of the presence of God on earth. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and will be their God. The church is God's design for community, but it's also a precursor of what is to come. People can see, people can experience what eternity in God's good presence will be like and what the restoration of all things will be like that God promises. That's the purpose of the church. And when I look at it from that perspective, it's really easy to be like, oh my gosh, we got a long way to go. But I also see the wonderful things that happen in our church. I look over the last seven years and I see, oh my gosh, look at the fruit. People who are far from God, atheists who have come to know Jesus, either in conjunction with our church or because of our church, but ultimately what God has done through me and through Heather and through each of you in relationships and how God has lived out in those spaces. And it's beautiful. I've seen us love each other. I've seen us love other people. I've seen the unity in relationships. And yet I also know that there is more to do, that there are gaps, that there are spaces that we've got to figure out. And be rest assured, know that your pastor, know that your pastors are thinking about this and asking questions. And there is changes and evolution that will need to happen. I don't know what those are yet necessarily, but I do know that that's where we're heading. And so 
As I close today, the idea of the church is really just this concept of a local community of believers centered around faith in Jesus. And our goal, our desire is to love and to obey Jesus, to read his word, to see what he teaches, and to obey it. And when we recognize there are gaps, to be honest with them, to repent of those spaces, to ask those questions, and to be willing to be people who are willing to take steps towards that and follow Jesus into whatever that means and do it in love and in unity so that the world will know who Jesus really is. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you for this message series. <coughs> what a mystery it is that you created this church to be the mechanism to bring Jesus to the entire world. Jesus as one man could only walk around and was limited by his legs and was limited by his space and time. And now the spirit of Christ lives inside each one of us. And the church is the vehicle that you have created for us to bring the message of hope and life and restoration to the entire world. What a mystery. What a responsibility. I thank you for all that you are doing and have done in our church and in our lives and through other churches. We give, we give, uh, we want to honor the churches that have come before us over the last 2000 years and the wonderful work that they have done in thousands and thousands of lives. And we also repent individually and corporately for the ways that we have muddied the name of the church. God, I don't want our church to be that way. I don't want my life to be that way. I don't think we do intentionally. I'm sure there are ways intentional, unintentionally we have at times, but God, I, our desire is to just be your church in the truest form. Would you open our eyes as, as individuals and collectively of what that looks like and have the courage to take steps towards what it is that is it should be? Pray that you'll bless our time, the rest of this time together in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. If you call Encounter Church Home or if you'd like to partner with us to support the work that God is doing here, you can take advantage of our online giving option. Just go to EncounterGiving.com. Also, stay up to date with us throughout the week by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at EncounterPGH. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.